Welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with trendsetters who are leading innovation in public safety and expert advice on growing your own post-law enforcement business. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Welcome to episode 43 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking with Robert Carlson from Brave Defender Training Group. Robert shares with me why he thinks that a scientific approach to law enforcement training is paramount to achieving desired outcomes in real life scenarios. We'll also discuss Robert's copernurial journey starting his own training business while still working full-time in law enforcement. All right, here is my interview with Robert Carlson. Welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Today we have Robert Carlson on the show. Robert, thanks for joining me on the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. No, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, so we uh, we kind of first connected a while back. I think it was one of Scott Walker's open community meetings or, or not, whatever you want to call it, an open house happy hour deal that he does for people uh, transitioning out of law enforcement, specifically with a focus on, on uh, corporate security. And I, I think that was how we connected originally. Actually, if I remember, we, we sat on a panel together on something, um, I think dealing with uh, like police use of force uh, or something like that about a year or so ago. That was how we first met. Oh, man. Now I'm, now I'm yeah. really lost. Yeah. <laughs> My- <laughs> yeah, actually, it was, uh, no, it was actually, I think it was through Adam Kanakin is how we ended up uh, That's right. meeting each other. Yep. That's right. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. Um, man, that seems like it was a long time ago now. It was. <laughs> um, wow. Well, we, uh, so, we had connected. So nice and- plug for Adam too, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. Adam deserves it. That guy yep. is, uh, he's, has he's done a lot busy. for the law enforcement training space. Yes. So, I mean, like, like Adam, you kind of are trying to really change the direction of, of law enforcement training yourself. And obviously training is an ever evolving thing. We're always leaning into new concepts and new ideas and, and looking at what works and what doesn't looking at dynamic scenarios that, that happen in real time and trying to learn from them and apply them to, to real life and into our training and tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing that is innovative in the training space. Sure. So we have a couple things going on. Like you talked about the training is a constantly evolving world and it needs to be, there's always new threats that are out there. There's new, there's new tactics, new procedures, but even more importantly than that, there's new research that's out there when it comes to training. And so that's really what we're trying to do is focus a lot of our training on research-driven approaches. There's a lot of times that, you know, there's great training that's out there, but they tend to focus so much on the anecdotal approach. This worked in this situation. And that's true and that's correct. And there may be multiple situations where that approach worked, but 
is it also backed up by science? Is it also backed up by, by sp- just straight raw data? And so what I try and do, what we try and do uh, at Brave Defender is take that, that combined approach. Is the information backed up by scientific research data by the experts in, you know, whatever it may be, adult learning or human performance and, you know, and all those kinds of things? And does it also match up with what we're seeing the experienced operators doing out in the field? And how can we merge those those two things together? You make an excellent point there because I think often in, at least in my experience in law enforcement, a lot of the times what would happen is we'd have a, we'd have an incident, right? And we would see the, the outcome of it and how things transpired during that incident. And our knee jerk reaction is we want to learn from it, right? And that's not a bad thing, but like you just alluded to, if we, if we look at just what happened in that single incident and then change all of our training around it, we're missing a lot of context and we're really leaving out essentially the law of averages, which is what the scientific approach gives us is it allows us to look at not just what happens in one fluke instance, but this is what happens on average. And in most cases, and then we adjust to that instead of the one singular incident. Yeah. And, And that's, that's exactly it. There's, there's always outliers in anybody who's been in, in a gunfight or in any kind of lethal situation can tell you, you can never discount luck. Luck is a yeah. huge part of, of many, many situations. So when you look at a situation, you have to look at how much was luck and influence versus how much was it the actual decisions that, that were being made. And so that's what we try and do is, is look at it and say, okay, based upon the, the human performance science, uh, what's, the, what's the most realistic uh, way to, to tackle this uh, kind of across that spectrum? And we try and look at it from the human side of it as well, taking into account the human performance aspects, the adult learning. Just because it worked in this situation for this one person, can another individual, can another officer uh, or another, another individual placed in the same situation are they going to be able to perform to that same level or that same standard? So really you could almost summarize that as the goal being to reduce the reliance on luck. Yes. Yeah, definitely. You can never discount it, but if you're relying on it, then your luck will run out very quickly. You can never, you can never count on it. Yeah. There's a few too many, I think at times that, that are, uh, putting on the the uniform every day, just relying upon luck. And, and I'm going to, I'll admit that there were times in my career that uh, I certainly went on duty with that sort of an attitude that, well, you know, it's either my day or it's not. And I'm just going to count on things working my way. Right. And unfortunately what a lot of people don't take into account is your opponent, the bad guy, he gets luck too. And he gets a vote in how this all plays out. They, they get just as an equal say in this as you do. And so today might, it's not so much that today might not be your day, but today might be his day. And so you got to take that aspect into it as well of, 
there's another human being involved in all of these decisions. And so how is how are they being impacted as well? Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because, um, well, let me just ask you a question. Have you always been a patrol cop or did you ever work in a correctional environment in a jail? My whole civilian law enforcement time has been on patrol. I got my okay. start doing military law enforcement for for a while. Uh, spent uh, several years doing that and then kind of moved on to, to bigger and better things within the military and then also decided to, to join the civilian police force as well uh, and stayed patrol. And then now work on the civilian side, work full time in a training capacity for, for my civilian department. Okay. So the reason I, I ask that, because it may have seemed like a bit of a rabbit trail, but I, yep. I assure I assure you it's not. And and the reason I ask that is because based upon what you said there, what it what it made me think of was back to when I did work in the county jail, a large county jail. And we we had these posters sometimes, you know, or you'd see them in the break room or 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 whatever, and it was this picture of a, a dude an inmate who's jacked, right? And he's yep. lifting weights and exercising. And it says, well, he's training every day. You should too, right? And those things are, they're cheesy, right? And we, we would laugh at them and, but, and but poke fun. But it's, but it's absolutely true. And just yep. like you said, the, the combatant gets luck sometimes too. And not yep. only that, the advantage that they have on us, whether it's in a correctional environment or out on the road in the field, we kind of standardize our our response to things. Right. Mm -hmm. And they know that they anticipate it, they prepare for it. And so we're almost at a disadvantage in most cases, because most times the bad guy knows what we're going to do. They know how we're going to react and how we're going to respond to things. But for us, it's unpredictable. We have no idea who these people are, what their mental state right. is, what level of intoxication or what sort of drug they might be on that's impairing their their function in their brain. And so we're at that disadvantage. We have no idea what to expect. And so we really do have to train harder and with a more scientific approach, like you're saying, in order to be able to account for that. Yes. Yeah. We've got the same cheesy posters all over our gun range, uh, on our <laughs> department too, you know, our slightly different variation, but, and I hate cliche terms like that, but they're, they're still true. Uh, yeah. they're all born out of an origin of truth. It's just, they become so commercialized that we kind of look at them uh, with a dismissive kind of, you know, joking response. And which is, which is actually a tragedy because there really is a lesson in that you really, yeah. you, they, they should be trying to change your attitude and your perception of, yeah, someone is out there practicing and training for how to, how to do bad things to you. And you better be training just as hard, if not even harder for how to stop them from doing bad things to you, but not just stop them and not just survive it, but how can you win? How can you defeat that? Because if you go into it with just that, that basic, well, I'm going to, how can I survive it mentality? You've already lost. You've got to, you've got to, how can I win against this person that is already so determined and so committed? And you're all, you're already going to be behind the power curve because they, they only have one focus in a fight, the bad guy, they've already got the initiative. We were behind the eight ball from the get go because they already know what they're going to do. We have to read off of their cues. 
They don't have rules. We do. They can be single task focused on just us. Well, we have to worry about them. We have to worry about our partner. We have to worry about all the civilian bystanders that are there. And then in the back of our head, we got that lawyer speaking to us of, well, if you do this, yeah. you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> and if you don't do this, you're going to get in even more trouble. So I just picture myself become, on the stand with a defense attorney, to, you know, trying to cut up everything I say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and the only way that you can get through all of that distraction, uh, you know, your, your brain is so, so divided, your attention span is so split. The only way that you can overcome that is through training, repetitions and dedicated training. Absolutely. You mentioned it really starts with a mindset shift, yes. but I feel like, I mean, honestly, in, in just my own experience in, in my law enforcement career and as an instructor and as an administrator, changing the mindset of cops is hard. Oh uh, my God, yes. <laughs> uh, I don't, <laughs> we're not only are we just type A, but we, we get set in, I don't want to say set in our ways, but we, we determine through the course of action and doing things that actually work for us. And when we, when we get it yep. set in our mind that, Hey, this worked, then I'm just going to keep doing it that way until it doesn't work. Right. And so if somebody comes yep. along and tells me that's not the best way to do it, it's really hard to overcome that because the immediate reaction is, well, but that's my way and it's worked for me up to this point. So maybe you're wrong. Right. And yep. so do you run into that same thing? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, a, as an industry, we're horrible. We we are the the worst that we do things because of the way it's always been done, uh, <laughs> whether it be because it's what we're comfortable with or whether we've seen it, you know, work previously. And Lord knows, I've fallen victim to it myself. When I was out on the street, my favorite takedown was doing an armbar takedown. That was my immediate go to on every situation, and it worked great for me in every scenario. Until it didn't. And it didn't. that's when I realized I was a one trick pony. And <laughs> that, that call got real ugly real quick because I had to sit there and think in a fight. Well, now what? I've relied on this single move so much because it's been successful for me. I don't know what, you know, right. now I got to come up with something else on the fly. And, yeah. and we see that a lot in, in training. People do what works for them because it's worked for them so far, and it may work for them forever until it doesn't. And then what? Yep, exactly. And Scott, Scott Savage and I talked about that on this show way, way back uh, last year now, one of the very early episodes of the Public Safety Innovators podcast, just the, the idea of the that's the way we've always done it mentality and why it's so poisonous to us in law enforcement. And so I, I guess I would just, um, I'm curious how, how are you guys at brave defender? And, and maybe this is more of a personal question than it is about what you do at brave defender, but how do you overcome that? What are you using? What tactic do you use to get cops to move off of their, well, this is the way I've always been doing it and accept new ideas. Well, I th to me, I feel a lot of being an instructor is almost like being a salesman. Um, yeah. you, you need to know your product and you need to sell your product, whether that's a 
tangible item or whether it's an idea or a concept, like a new tactic or a new way of uh, applying a skill set. So you need one, you need to be confident in, in what you're doing and you really need to be able to sell it. You need to convince them that what you're trying to, to teach them is going to be better than what they've been doing previously. And so a lot of it's really about learning your audience. What is it that's driving them? What, it, what is it that's motivating them? And how can you get that, that in? So a lot of times, really what, what I found works is realistic training. Okay, your way works. I'm going to teach you my way. We're going we're gonna to go take this, this way of taking down this building or you know, hitting this room or whatever the case may be. Now, let's put on some munitions gear. Let's go for some force. And let's do it. And by the end of that, hopefully my goal is that when you practice the way that we teach you, the new way, uh, whatever that may be, that once we put you under stress, because everything sounds great, everything looks great in a nice, calm, sterile environment. But when I put you under stress where your target thinks back at you and gets that vote again, now you're going to see real quick which way works. And at the end of the day, my goal, all I care about is I want to save lives, period. Whether it's police officer lives through training them through through Brave Defender, whether it's civilian lives, training them through through my nonprofit, whatever it is, my strategy is to save lives. And so whatever works to do that, to me, that means I've been successful. And so if the way you were doing it previously turns out to work better for you, then the way I've taught you, cool. You at least gave it a chance. You gave it a shot. You're opened up your mind. And maybe I made some impact in some small way that down the road, when you get in that situation and that arm bar takedown doesn't work, that you realize, hey, wait, I saw something else. Let me go do something else. Uh, and yeah. so you don't end up like me trying to do the arm bar takedown two, three times and ending up with a broken eye socket. So yeah, you know, that, that's really kind of my my strategy is just make a small impact. Yeah, planting a seed. Yep. Yeah. In the last chapter of the business brief, I shared with you what distinguishes the highly successful from the underachievers. We learned to identify ourselves as either a Sisyphus, someone with a fixed mindset or a Proteus, someone with a growth mindset. In this chapter, I'm going to tell you how you can transform yourself from a Sisyphus to a Proteus. In order to make this transformation, we need to see the world differently in these five key areas. Number one, challenges. We must embrace challenges rather than avoid them. Number two, obstacles. We must persist through obstacles rather than give up. Number three, effort. We must see our effort as a path to mastery rather than a fruitless endeavor. Number four, criticism. We must learn from criticism rather than ignoring useful feedback. And finally, number five, success of others. We must be inspired by the success of others rather than feeling threatened by it. Having a growth mindset is about accepting that you may not ever reach the top of the mountain, but you will keep climbing so that you can enjoy the view as it gets progressively better. This transition moves our internal ethos from I have arrived to I am constantly getting better from I am the best 
to I am learning and improving every day. So I will ask you again, are you a Sisyphus or a Proteus? The Business Brief is sponsored by leo to ceocom where you can listen to every chapter and find everything you need to grow your post-law enforcement business. So tell me, how, how did the idea to actually start your own business in the training space actually begin? Like, where, where did that come from? Oh, goodness. So that's going to be a little, little trip down memory lane. So I was working as an instructor for the military. I started teaching for the military uh, around 20 years ago. Uh, I moved into the instructor side. And it's just something I, I, I enjoyed. Uh, so I started teaching military law enforcement. Ended up at a regional training center for the military down in Florida as a full-time formal instructor. And that was really where the idea first started was a bunch of us down there, a bunch of instructors. We kept having this idea of that we were going to start our own company. And our, our training school down there was called Brave Defender. And so we had this kind of joking idea at the time that, well, let's, let's create our, let's create Brave Defender and take it on the road. And that way we can all run around the country and just hang out together and teach people. <laughs> so flash forward several more years. Uh, now I'm working as a professional instructor for, for the police department. I'm a firearms instructor and active shooter instructor. And I started seeing obstacles that kept getting in my way when I was trying to teach that, we'd get training requests to go help an agency, but because they'd be outside of our jurisdiction, we couldn't go assist them. Or whether it be a new tactic or something like that, there was just all this bureaucracy in trying to get that information approved. Yeah. And you know, it was a two-year process to, to just change one small, small way of teaching something. And so I was like, this is, this is, this is ridiculous. There's got to be a more efficient way to do this. And so I started looking at, well, how can I take, how can I kind of take the, a lot of these rules away? Well, easy answer, go into business for yourself and be your own boss. So that started with Brave Defender Community Services. Uh, by this point, the the military Brave Defender had had closed. They had reconsolidated that unit, and so out of uh, kind of out of respect and and homage to to that, we we chose to name our our company after Brave Defender. And so Brave Defender Community Services got started, which was a or is a nonprofit that is dedicated to doing active shooter research and education and prevention for the community. And as that idea grew, then out of that came Brave Defender Training Group, where we offered tactical and firearms training to military and law enforcement to better prepare them to deal with active threats. So it really just kind of became almost a natural evolution of where things where things were going with my life was I, I just wanted to keep taking stuff stuff to the next level, being able to to expand the impact that I could have and that reach. And it just seemed like that was the the best and uh, most efficient way to go. So now during that time, I mean, you've gained obviously a lot of 
knowledge and experience through the school of hard knocks on what it takes to yep. actually create a business and make it successful. And you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't still be in existence today, several years later now, if you weren't successful at it. So you're, you're obviously successful, but what challenges did you face along the way for the fellow copperneurs that are, and remember this is, this isn't yeah. uh, this isn't a two hour show, um, but for the fe- <laughs> fellow copperneurs that are listening to the show that are either uh, in the thick of starting their own business right now or, or thinking about it, or maybe they're established as well and, and still just learning from some of their own challenges. What, what stories can you share of your own challenges that you had and how you overcame them? Well, there, there were quite a few. So first off, I had no idea whatsoever about how to start a business. So what I found was the my best friend was Google. And I spent, <laughs> I don't even want to say hours, days, weeks, just researching everything, every step that I needed to take. I didn't know anything about nonprofits. Actually, I changed that. I kind of grew up in the nonprofit world, you know, with uh, my parents working in a nonprofit industry. And that was actually a huge resource to to getting my nonprofit started. But as far as starting my training company, I really just kind of had to figure everything out along the way as I did it. What to me, what was a huge advantage, though, was time. I wasn't in a rush to get everything out. Uh, I took my time and, you know, I had the benefit of, you know, I'm still working full time for, for my police department. So I've got a, I've got a constant steady income coming in. So this was more of a, a personal interest than a, than a livelihood. And so it allowed me to sit back and make sure that every step that I did was done properly. And then once I did my official public launch, all my ducks were in a row. And when we came out and and said, hey, hey, here we are, it already looked like we had been in business for, for several years because we, we took the time to lay all of that framework and get recognized by by all the different entities that were out there. And to me, one advice that I could give to anybody that's looking to go down whatever the road it is, is get yourself accredited, get yourself recognized by whatever governing bodies or whatever job you're trying to do, whatever field you're going into, find what regulatory and governing bodies that are out there and get into their material and get into to all of their information and get yourself accredited and recognized by them because then when it's time for you to start you've you're going into it with all of this backing and all of this accreditation from a third party source uh, and that right there just seats you and makes you valid from yeah. day one yeah and to me that was probably one of the biggest benefits that I had was I took my time and found all of those, whether it be the small business associations, the veteran-owned uh, business association in my case, all of these different organizations, I got all that done on the front end before we even announced that there was a company. You know, we teach a lot of medical classes to to police officers uh, and, and, and military. So we went through all of the medical accreditation processes. And so that way, once we came out, we were already a recognized and accredited 
the leader in the the tactical medical world for for this area uh, and dealing with the the already dealing with the manufacturers and the vendors and getting ourselves established. So the second we said, hey, who wants to, to host a medical class? We had everything ready. We had the vendors, we had the accreditation and everything was done. And our very, very first medical class, we had no idea what we were doing as we were doing it. We're making it up as we go. But from their point of view, and they even told us this, they thought that was our hundredth class yeah. uh, because we showed up already ready to go with everything there. That's some excellent, excellent advice. And I, I would say at the core of that too, and what you mentioned is just the the preparation part of it. Yeah. Um, and, and I recognize it was, it was something that, like you said, was sort of a passion project um, that it wasn't something you were trying to start and do as a livelihood, but I feel like that's so important. Um, you know, I've talked about it a bunch both on this podcast and we talk about it a, a lot in the Elioto CEO community, uh, with some of those guys that are still on the job that you really need to have a backup plan because oh, yeah. we never, we never know. I think cops take it for granted. We, we understand that every day that we go on duty, that that could be our last day on duty, right? Um, we, we could get injured or we could end up in a legal bind or who knows what, right? Um, there's a lot of different things that can make that our last day on duty. And I'm not even talking about losing your life, but you know, no, all you those, get those injured. I mean, right. Exactly. You get, sued, you get fired. Yeah. There's you find out you have cancer, you know? Um, yeah. exactly. And so we know those things exist. We know that that chance is there, but we don't prepare for it. We don't plan for it. And so many cops just kind of wing it and hope that, Hey, I'm going to either make it to my 30 or, you know, something else will come up and it'll yeah. just work out. And, you know, I really just want to encourage people that are listening to, to have a backup plan. Even if that's nothing more than saying, I have this desire for a business, get yep. out a piece of paper and write. I mean, it doesn't have to be a business plan per se, but put down on paper some thoughts about what that business is, what you're going to do, how you're going to execute it, who you need to contact, how, how you need to set things up. And like you said, start doing that research, start putting things in yep. motion so that when it is time, you already have the beginning of a foundation laid out. Right. I mean, we, the, the idea of Brave Defender was 15 years in the making before we even decided to, to actually do anything with it. So taking the patience and, and to do everything right, and I'm not saying take 15 years, but you know, you don't, there's no need to rush into it. Do everything the right way. Yeah. And, yeah. and like you were saying, that, that backup plan, for for police officers, and this is something that's kind of one of my personal soapboxes, you've got to set yourself up for the future, whether that's your your personal career or your, your professional career you're in now. Start taking initiative. Yeah. Get yourself skills now, whether they're law enforcement related or outside related. Oh. <laughs> Take initiative for your career and your life. Don't expect your department, your agency, or the world to hand it to you. Um, you're right. That is a huge soapbox and a, uh, a, a rabbit trail for me as well, because yep. I've been stuck on this idea recently of skill stacking, right? Mm -hmm. And this idea that we always have to be stacking one skill on top of the next in order to advance ourselves, whether that's in our career or in business, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, the concept still applies. And I would just say this, and it's going to sound blunt and, and, uh, 
I don't care. So what I want to say to that is if you, and I don't mean, I don't mean you specifically, Robert, but anybody listening, if you feel like your career has become stagnant or your business has become stagnant, you just feel like you're, you're not seeing growth. And you look back in the last year and you're like, I'm not growing. That's because you haven't, you haven't dedicated the time to identify what the next skill is that you need to stack on top of the skills you already have. You've stopped growing and that's nobody's fault, but your own, you have right. to take the time to identify what that next skill is to stack. So yeah, you, um, you have for, to make yourself marketable in yeah. whatever it is that is yep. that's on you and on nobody else. You, you are an economic product on an open market. Yep. Yep. Well, anyway, so before we continue down that rabbit trail, because we've only got a couple more minutes here, you wrote an article recently that was just published by Alita. I just want to give yep. you a couple minutes to, to tell us what that article was all about. Sure. So uh, in the most recent uh, Alita journal that came out, there was an article uh, that I wrote talking about one of the kind of the corner concepts that we have at Brave Defender. And that is our, our idea of the winning mindset and getting officers to understand the, the gunfight cycle and, and the, the mentality and the mindset that you have to have in order to really win. And then tied into that, well, okay, what is winning? Uh, how do we measure that? You know, what defines actually winning an engagement? And so we, we developed what we call our standard of winning. And so that's kind of what that article was about was that, that winning mindset and that standard of winning. How do we determine for us, what constitutes a win? Because we hear so often, well, you know, we need to have a survival attitude. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of words mean things. Well, survival by definition means to continue existence. Period. Yeah. Well, that's not good. So enough. that means no. So that means I could be in a coma for the rest of my life. Well, I survived right. because my existence continued. I could hide behind my squad car and not get involved in the situation at all and be a coward and allow the, the bad guy to get away. And I survived. But in neither one of those situations did I win. And so we have to, we have to really lay down a foundation. If we're going to teach people, you need to win a fight. Okay. Well, what does that mean? How do we define that? What is the criteria? And so we developed what we call the the standard of winning, and uh, then using that, how do how does within that cycle of a gunfight, how do you your actions and decisions impact that that standard? And just in in the the quickest nutshell, you already started your gunfight, so it's broken down into three phases: pre shooting, shooting, post shooting, and it's in an ever evolving cycle. And everything that you do in each one of those three phases impacts whether or not you will win uh, based upon those measurable standards that, that we lay out. And that's what we just kind of talk about is what are your decisions in each one of those three phases and what are those standards that we use to evaluate? Do you actually win? I love that concept. Uh, we will definitely share, we'll link the, to that article in the um, show notes for this episode. So you can check that out at psi.chat forward slash the episode number for this episode. Robert, why don't you let everybody know how, how can they connect with you? Where do they find you? Whether they want to bring you out for a class or just to, just to chat 
uh, on things? Sure. So there's a lot of different ways you can get a hold of me. The easiest one is just going to be go to go to my websites. Uh, you, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on all the various social media. But to if you want to get a hold of me and see what kind of services we can offer, uh, go to our website. If you're looking for active shooter information or training for your community, whether it's a business or a school or a church uh, or anything like that, our, our nonprofit organization, Brave Defender Community Services uh, at bravedefender.org. Uh, you can get a hold of us there to, to do any educational needs for, for the civilian community. If you're looking for training for your, your law enforcement agency or as a law enforcement officer or you're in a, in a military capacity as well, that's where our Brave Defender Training Group is, is our for-profit training division. Uh, and their website is bravedefendertraining.com. Uh, and you can find us there. And that has all of our course listings and uh, all the information about us, that, that's, as well as upcoming classes. Um, so that, that's really the two easiest ways to, to get a hold of us and see what it is that, uh, that we can offer you. Excellent. Well, Robert, it was great having you on the show. Good conversation. I uh, appreciate you. No, thank here. you. No, I, thank you so much for having me on. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at psi.chat forward slash review. I would love to hear your feedback, and it will also help other public safety innovators like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to psi.chat, click on episodes, and search this episode number, and you'll find all the links, descriptions, and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe, and you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.